Let's take a quick break and hear from today's show sponsor. Are you struggling to close deals? Cold outreach can be a slow and brutal process. And in many scenarios, it's just wasting the time of both the buyer and the seller, especially when business owners who are trying to find qualified buyers are using inaccurate and outdated data. But it doesn't have to be this way. With LinkedIn Sales Navigator, your organization can overcome these challenges by leveraging this amazing technology and platform that translates comprehensive, high-quality buyer data into real-time insights and sales. These deeper insights empower sales reps and teams to adopt the habits of top performers, which leads to much better outcomes like building a bigger pipeline with real customers leading to higher win rates and conversions, and of course, larger deals and paydays all around. We call this deep sales and LinkedIn has built the first deep sales platform with the next generation of LinkedIn sales navigator. Right now, our Millionaire Mindcast family has an amazing opportunity to try LinkedIn sales navigator and get a 60 day free trial at linkedin.com forward slash mindcast. That's linkedin.com forward slash mindcast for a 60 day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com forward slash mindcast and get started. The only thing that I can't get a grasp on is money supply still seems to be fairly tight. It's more expensive to get a loan on something that even for highly qualified people, you know, high credit, high income, lots of reserve, low DTI. It's hard to get loan products, right? Six, seven, eight percent. That's expensive for money. What's going on, guys? Welcome into today's episode of Money Moves. As always, your host, Matty A, co-host, Mr. Ryan Breedwell. How we doing? Doing great. We cover all things stocks, real estate, investing, and personal finance to help you on your march to a million and beyond. Be sure to check out MillionaireMindcast.com for all of the amazing tools, resources, and links we cover in this show. If you're not subscribed to the channel yet, be sure to hit that subscribe button. If you enjoy what we talk about, all we ask, take two seconds, leave a review, and of course, two main things that we always like to highlight if you have an investment or financial portfolio and you want to get a full free financial x-ray, you can text the word x-ray to 844-447-1555. What does that consist of, Mr. Breedwell? We will go through your current investments or life insurance or all the above. We'll take a look at what you're currently doing, how much you're paying, what it would look like if you didn't do anything different and what we might suggest you do to different, excuse me, what we might suggest that you do different. And if you want to make those changes, we'll help you make them. Beautiful. And for all my credit investors, if you are looking to get passive income investment opportunities uh, each and every year, I'll put out a few to my credit investor network. And you can get on that list by texting the word DEALS to 844-447-1555 as well. That being said, we don't have a ton to cover today, we which is... A, we got a dry week. I guess a good thing and a bad thing at times. But we do have some updates in terms of household debt reaching record numbers. Of course, the big topic of discussion for this month until it gets solved is the debt ceiling and whether they yeah. are going to raise that or not. We'll talk about that a little bit. Mm. Rate cut predictions. We've heard some different narratives coming out of different Fed camps and whether or not we're going to be seeing cuts this year to interest rates or if that's going to be prolonged heading into 2024. Some inventory updates 
on the single-family housing market. And we're going to go through a little bit of the data that the National Association of Realtors just put out. Chief Economic um, uh, Economist uh, Lawrence Yun just did a state-of-the-market full data breakdown on commercial real estate and really just kind of the economy as a whole. So we're going to go through that screen share. You can catch this on YouTube if you want to watch the full video breakdown, but we'll keep the narrative as consistent uh, and digestible for you guys and get Mr. Breedwell's take on some of those data points. Mr. Michael Burry of The Big Short also made some updates to his investment portfolio. We'll, we'll, we'll get uh, some take on that for Mr. Breedwell. And overall, just a quick little update and state of the market on real estate. That being said, uh, I thought it was funny before we dive into the uh, kind of market updates this week. Uh, Mr. Progressive Bernie Sanders uh, okay. more than doubled his yearly income this last year by selling a book denouncing and decrying the principles of capitalism. Uh, by using how dare capitalism. capitalists mm. go out there and make money and him double his income. And I always think it's funny too, like him or AOC or a lot of the individuals who really kind of tout this socialistic type of agenda, their websites and like their online Shopify stores selling their merch and their books, they're charging more than what most people would charge like in traditional retail spaces. Yeah. And uh, Bernie Sanders used to say like, be or decry millionaires and then he became a millionaire. So now he decries billionaires. And if he started, or if he became a billionaire, he'd started to cry. He would stop decrying billionaires and start decrying trillionaires. It's just a hypocrisy on the far. That's what most of these full of. So, what are we seeing in the market this week? Well, first and foremost, we had Mr. Jim Cramer, who has, you know, historically I just been in, spot on for doing exactly well, well, opposite. If you of follow what you, the uh, meme page, to do. Uh, Wall Street bets, yeah. it's it's pretty funny because every time he comes out with you don't miss. some specific stance or narrative around a stock or a company or something that he's kind of staking in his flag and, and claim on, you know, an ideology of what is going to transpire about that. I would say nine times out of 10, maybe he's, eight times out of 10. He's, he's like, he's like the complete wrong. opposite of what actually happened. So this last week, um, he had just noted that he thinks the U.S., uh, stock market is primed for a massive yeah. avalanche of opportunity and a and a wave of positive upriding. And I'm hoping that's the one out of 10 that he's going to hit the nail both. on the head. Me what are your thoughts both. around what we're seeing in terms of the stock market today with the setup of, you know, maybe some of the headwinds that we're facing still? So the um, stock market is looking pretty good so far. Um, it's up almost 9% year to date, I believe. Uh, we just had the NASDAQ. Uh, this is Monday. We're recording this one. NASDAQ broke through its resistance that it was set in February. It had not broken through that. And it broke through that. We should have hopefully follow through and have that close out through the end of the week above that number. Um, I think what we're seeing in the market is the last hurdle that we might have to get through is the debt ceiling crisis. Um, that is not a crisis. It's just what it's being titled against him with like the banking stuff. Um, last year at this time, if you go back and pull the podcast, we were talking about the exact same thing. So it's just, a, it's just something that's tossed around every single year for follow up for political reasons. And it's kind of annoying because it doesn't it can be better for everybody. We just didn't have that. Um, 
flipping the script and going back um, even a little bit more, do we think the banking crisis is going to be an issue? We just had uh, First Republic getting bought up essentially in an approved um, transaction by the FDIC. They approved the purchase of First Republic by J.P. Morgan Chase. I heard J.P. Morgan is going to keep the name. I'm seeing that there is that I would say that that Jim Cramer statement does hold a lot of truth to me because I've been saying that for a while and anybody that's bought in the last 12 months is up, you know, 9% year to date or, or then some plus dividends if you add that in. So over a 10% uh, total return, probably it's hard to buy through the chop, but it's, it, the market doesn't just always go straight up. So this is the time, like I said, when you get this stuff at a cheaper discount, you get those really good base of your portfolio and that kind of bakes into everything else. I'm seeing that we're probably going to get a pause, like an official pause announced at the next meeting. And I think what we're going to get at, towards the end of the year is in moving into fall is the talk of rate cuts. And I, I just don't see how we were already ahead. The Fed shouldn't have raised rates the last two times for sure, but they did. So they're going to have to pull that back at least off the table. And that's it. They're either going to do that one big cut or two smaller cuts. And I would say probably two smaller cuts at least. Um, so when that gets into the market and starts baking in and becomes more of a reality, that's going to be seen in equities. And I saw somebody put a, uh, your Denny Research put out a price target around 4,600 on the S&P. And I'm sitting around 4,400 for my price target. So that would be another 20, 30% movement that I'm not even pricing in. And, and so that, that to me gives me hope that I'm not the only one uh, that sees that. But there's people that say the complete opposite. The problem is those people that say the complete opposite have been the same ones calling for a recession, all this other stuff. And we've just been in a rolling recession here for probably the last 13 to 14 months. It's a non-traditional recession, recession style. It's getting hit in the areas like employment or wage growth or things like that. It's just a slow and sticky economy that kind of moves sideways for a while with high inflation. It's the first time we've ever been through something like this. So this will be talked about forever, kind of like 2008 was and is. Um, but I see hope. I would be putting my money to work right now. Um, just like I think on your side of the street, like commercial real estate is going to start proving lots of opportunities and real estate starting to make a rebound, as we mentioned last week. And I, there's some seasonality in that. Um, but that's going to turn a corner as well. Things just don't go down forever when they start going back up. So Yellen put out a quote this week, which of course all the all the focus right now is on on the debt ceiling, right? I mean that seems to be the the yeah. main topic of discussion on all the main news outlets and channels. If the U.S. defaults, millions in the U.S. could lose their jobs. Household incomes would be reduced. U.S. businesses would see credit markets deteriorate. Millions of American families that received government payments would likely be left without the resources. I mean, it's a pretty grim picture, but when, if ever, has the debt ceiling not been raised? It's always been raised. And what's the likelihood that that's actually going to happen? Is is I this a hundred... black swan event that it could happen where you've really got Republicans and Democrats that far off? Um. I think it it would affect the constituents of both parties and piss off both parties a lot. I think right now a lot of the blame I think would be put on the Democratic or the Republican Party. Um, I I it's, I think it's a hundred percent like that the debt ceiling gets raised, and we'll do this again next year until somebody removes the debt ceiling limit, which I think should be should happen. 
they'll have this conversation every single year because the ceiling is there and we're ready to hit it. And so I just don't know why we're even fooling around with having a debt ceiling. Is it something that is um, overhyped and talked about more than it is important? Yes. It's a, such a beans and bullets scenario that would come about if we didn't meet our debt obligations. It's just not something that the U.S. is going to traverse down. So the, the Republicans are going to hold their feet down tight and push it as close as they can to that time to make the Democrats sweat. It's a political move, but it's a it's a charade. Because we had, I want to get your take on Mr. Peter Schiff talking about experts agree that if the debt ceiling is not raised and the U.S. government is no longer able to borrow, that it will be impossible for the government to pay its bills. And that means that the U.S. has already borrowed more than it can repay. Either default or massive inflation is inevitable. Um, again, I think that's a worst case scenario. I think obviously is that something that could happen? Yes. Is it something that's going to happen? Probably not. I think I joke, like, you know, a satellite could fall out of the sky and hit a Taco Bell when you're sitting in there. It's just a lot of things are possible, but are they going to happen? Probably. Yeah. So probably I, I'm, I'm not in the camp of, um, recession. I'm not in the camp of inflation going back up. And I'm for sure not in the camp of there not being rate cuts this year. Will be rate cuts this year. And um, so you disagree with Atlanta Fed President yeah. Bostic had put out a, a comment this week. My baseline case is we won't even be thinking about cutting rates well into 2024. You think it's going to happen in 2023? Yeah, this is this is the tra- this is one of the transits. But yeah, no, I just again you have to kind of have to fade the Fed a little bit, um, at least recently with the current cycle, because they haven't been 100% correct and almost treating them like a Jim Cramer burner. Uh, whatever they say, you can almost assume the opposite. So if we're not thinking about rate hikes at all, well, I'm, excuse me, rate cuts, they're, they're for sure thinking about rate cuts. It's, it's been talked about and they are talking about it. Um, when are they going to do it? Probably not until fall again. And they, they surprised people with the same rhetoric in 2015. People remember they did a surprise rate in December. Didn't tell anybody, just popped it on them. Uh, rate high, excuse me. So don't necessarily think the Fed ha- are obligated. To, they can just do whatever they want. They're not obligated to forecast anything. They just do because what they do affects the market. Causes a sell-off well, and right now, more than ever, to get that soft landing, they they somewhat need to control or, you know, forecast a little crystal ball into the future of the market, right? Yeah, I just think the data is starting to catch up and it's showing that inflationary items are, are back in line. I mean, eggs are back at normal price. These the eggs I'm buying. Gas is still crazy expensive for in California, but it's back in that area. Travel is getting back to that number lumber is back to that number imports from overseas is back to that number so things are getting back in line i think the the thing that's still really high right now is a shelter uh, shelter cost yep well and we'll we'll dig into that here on this uh data report kind of slideshow and you'll get to see some of the graphs and, and the data there one of the data points that came out this last week total household Debt reaches $16.9 trillion in Q4 of 2022. Uh, it jumped to a record 
practically 17 trillion from October to December last year, which is the largest quarterly increase in 20 years as mortgage and credit card balances surged amid high inflation and rising interest rates. Uh, this was per a uh, Federal Reserve report. Is there any concerns around the amount of debt households are holding right now and, and that potentially being a bubble that could burst at some point? Um, again, a lot of debt is not a bad thing as long as the debt is serviced appropriately how it's supposed to be serviced. Um, I also think that, you know, a lot of people out there, they're like savings accounts and money market funds, right? Which isn't part of money supply that's not tracked. So it looks maybe worse on paper than it actually is. We talked about the exodus from banks because banks were paying their depositors higher. I was saying that banks needed to start paying their depositors higher or else they were going to lose that business to a money market fund. Because why wouldn't somebody go to an essentially a no risk money market fund yeah. backed by commercial paper that's paying four and a half, five point eight, five, or excuse me, four and a half, four point eight, five percent. That doesn't when their bank isn't doing anything. And oh, it's SIPC insurance, which has higher coverages than FDIC. So not only is it paying me more, it has a higher yield. You, yeah. And it it's it's excuse me, it is protecting you more. It just is a no brainer. It doesn't even take somebody mm-hmm. it, unsophisticated can figure that out. So to me, I think the thing that is, and that we talked about in the last podcast, the thing that's like being baked in or put into effect right now is the, the stopping of the short selling on bank stocks, which I think is good because what was happening, I know this sounds opposite of me, establishment of me, but use some common sense here. These banks are already getting, you know, Charles Schwab, for example, was going down with some of these other regional banks, and it shouldn't have. It just really shouldn't have. There's nothing wrong with Charles Schwab. They're not anywhere. They're so insulated from this. They're an investment bank. They have nothing to do with lending or depositors or whatever. They don't, you're not getting a home loan from Charles Schwab. But they started going down with them. And what happens is you have these regional banks that are smaller that can't really take the deposit run. Mm -hmm. And then you have these big short sellers coming in and saying, well, we can close our eyes and pick any bank stock and short it and make money on it. And when you short a stock, it artificially makes the stock look like it's worse than it is. And so that was causing an environment where shorting stocks is fair, but kicking somebody while they're down is not good really for anybody. And that is what was occurring. And it was causing kind of the same thing that happened with AMC or GME, where the stock was shooting up in price because short sellers were getting squeezed and having to buy stock to cover their their losses. So it made the stock look like it was good when in reality it wasn't. They're just having to cover their losses with purchases. We, we don't want stuff like that occurring because retail investors don't take the time to think about it. Like I just took 30 seconds to talk about that. They don't take that time. They just see something going up and they buy it. And when people get into stuff, they are normally prudent enough to get out. That's why casinos make lots of money. That hurts people in the long term. So I, I see that the, that item was good there. And then that kicks off the worry about the bank stock, the bank thing. So now we don't have, and we got essentially almost a free 50 basis point hike without it even happening from that uh, bank crisis. They're going, they have to announce a pause. They can't raise anymore. When they announce a pause, that's going to be like, there's going to be a rush immediately into real estate because people are going to say, great, 
now I can finally get into something. And hey, even if rates are going down slow, I can get in right now. And then for sure a year I can refinance because they're going to, that's historically what happens. There's going to be a pop in the stock market. You're going to see a layering of risk assets back on because the, the engine's going to get re-rolling. So this is, this is, we're at the end of the tunnel on the lights right there. It's, it's easy to see. We have a couple more obstacles to get through. And I really think the debt ceiling thing, it's going to be wrapped up here in the next two to three weeks, if not sooner. Hopefully it's, it wraps up this week. But once they announce that's done, there's not really much else in the way to hold the stock market back. And when the stock market starts doing good, give six to eight months from that kind of date when people swallow that and you're going to see the real estate market. Yeah. Well, we're going to dig into the NAR deck here in a second. But before we do, speaking of, you know, the confidence that certain people have in the banking industry, Michael Berry kind of planted his flag this week and updated his investment portfolio. Obviously, there's, you know, all different kinds of Twitter handles out there that track certain larger investors or institutions or our gal Nancy Pelosi Mm -hmm. based on her amazing track record of picking the right stocks or getting out of the wrong stocks before certain information is disclosed publicly. Um, This last week, he bought a ton of banking stocks, First Republic, PacWest, a lot of the banks that ultimately people were shorting and were hurting as a result of kind of this run on some of the banks and, you know, some of these banks going under. So with that perspective and that narrative, at least from yours and obviously people like Michael Burry and other larger institutions, money is flowing back into some of these money smaller supply bank still, stocks. The only thing that I can't get a grasp on is money supply still seems to be fairly tight. Um, talk a little bit more about that. Are you interested in boosting your income by an extra $50,000 this year? If so, you're going to love what I've got in store for you. I am beyond excited to officially announce an incredible opportunity to join me in my exclusive mastermind, which will include myself and 25 other hand-selected investors who are actively pursuing commercial real estate in 2024 and want to be held accountable to making sure they buy their first or their next commercial real estate investment property that will net them a minimum of $50,000 a year. This mastermind group will not only teach you how to do that, how to find, how to analyze, how to structure and buy these types of commercial real estate investment properties, but you'll also have an opportunity to be a part of an intimate group of high achievers that are going to take your network and your resources to a whole nother level. But here's the catch. Like I mentioned before, this is exclusive. We're only selecting 25 ambitious individuals for our founding members group who are serious and ready to take that next step in their commercial real estate investing journey. So if you are ready to increase your passive income by at least $50,000 in the next year with commercial real estate investing, then this is your moment. These spaces are gonna fill up fast and trust me, This is the one and only time to be a founding member, which comes with some pretty special benefits. So head over to myfirst50k.com and submit your application now. Again, that's myfirst50k.com. You can head over there, check out the program, see everything that it entails, submit your application to join, and I can't wait to connect with you soon. it's harder to get a loan or it's more expensive to get a loan on something that even for highly qualified people, you know, high credit, high income, lots of reserve, low DTI, 
we have, it's hard to get loan products, right? Six, seven, eight percent. That's expensive for money. And, and it's just because the money supply is tight. Banks are not profitable, but they're having to kind of balance the fact of, okay, well, can we lend this money out now? And how long or how short do we have to go on our treasury durations to not only cover what we need to make back for our depositors, but also for us to be profitable in an interest rate environment where we were kind of consolidating now. Uh, So if we have an interest rate cut, yields are going to stay the same, but face values are going to go up. Mm -hmm. So that's a way. so, So how do we balance that while also still needing to get a high yield right now? You know, we got to cover essentially a 5% hurdle rate. How do we cover that and get somebody in a loan product? Because right when the opposite starts happening, they're going to now refi out of those, out of those products. And how do we balance the held to maturity on our securities? Do we buy short term? Do we buy in the long term? What are we going to do? So that, that is hurting. That's, that's like a hard, that was the downfall of, uh, Silicon Valley. They had too much, too much maturity in their portfolio. And that's what, that's what got them. Um, on the flip side to that, it makes it more competitive in smaller banks that haven't had an opportunity to lend their portfolio out. Like they have a hundred million dollar line and they've only filled 25 million of it. Yep. They got 75 million bucks to fill and maybe be creative on their products. Hey, we can offer you a five, five, nine rate for a super highly qualified buyer. If you come and put 35 grand into our bank and you bank with us for at least 24 months, you know, they can kind of flip-flop it and say, hey, make our books look better and we'll lend you some money out of an already approved line of credit that we have from the Federal Reserve so that we can lend against. So to me, that is where I see some opportunity because I can get a better interest rate from like Tesla on a loan than I can my bank currently. And Tesla will finance their car to me directly versus going through an intermediary mm-hmm. because that intermediary has to come up with, you know, there's less test is going to make money on two sides there. So that the, that's where I see the opportunity happen. Um, on the other, the last thing I'll add to that is when money gets cheaper, people are going to go out and start buying these opportunities. Um, that's another thing that's going to happen. And so all of that provides like a lot of moat coverage for preparing for a nice pop in both, again, the stock market and the real estate market. Yeah, I mean, I feel like right now it's just a little bit of a retooling in the banking industry, it feels like, in a lot of ways. Yeah. It, um, With some of these dominoes falling and some of the ripple effects, I felt like it was it was felt across the entire spectrum. Yeah, love me, hate me. I'm some, so big on my... I, w- I would be fine with it being four or five financial institutions to work with. I just don't think that that's an issue. Um, but yeah, that ultimately what's going to happen to all the small banks is if they start getting big enough, they're just going to get bought by the big banks. Mm-hmm. And they, there's nothing that... That's that's capitalism 101. You can't control that. Uh, the, the thing I think it's going to shake up is I think FDIC has to raise the limit or what they're talking about is they're going to have to start figuring out how to charge banks based on size to put into a little slush fund together so that if this type of thing does happen again, there's money to be spent for that because the FDIC is going to make their money back. They already said that. We're getting all of our money back, getting it back from banks. So all the money we use to bail out the other stuff, all that money's coming back to us in fees 
from banks and we're raising all their fees next year to help compensate for that. So even though the bailout did happen, these banks are going to pay for it. And so they ultimately, what that kind of creates is a self-policing where it's like, dude, don't fuck around because last time you did this, all of us had to pay. Mm. Small bank, medium bank, large bank. Based on your size, your fee scales. So these larger banks will be paying a same percentage fee, but it's a larger amount of money because they're a larger bank. So I think that that's good. It's not going to be taxpayer done. It's going to be coming from the You don't think that'll get passed on to the consumer? No. No, they just... And how they structure the fees with the bank? No, I just think what they're going to continue to do is... Because then it's really just shareholders and owners that get squeezed if if the Fed's slapping everybody on the wrist, right? I think it's going to be through the way of what they're doing right now is just not paying yield. They're still not paying yield in high yields environments. I think just going to continue to do that and take it from there. JP Morgan makes their money in investments. Wells Fargo, Bank of or lending institutions. Wells Fargo being more so in the, in the asset management world right now. But I, I think when you have the top four banks controlling like 80% of the deposits, they're going to kind of make the rules. Yeah. Well, let's shift over to the 2023 Realtors Legislative Meetings. You can see here, Tone, if you want to pull this deck up, I will go through this. So this is uh, a deck and presentation that Lawrence Yoon, Chief Economist of National Association of Realtors, which covers single family and a lot of commercial economic data as a whole. Um, and I figured we'd just go through this slide deck. And one, I'd love to get your thoughts and take on it, Mr. Breedwell, as we go through some of these things. A lot of this stuff is already kind of <laughs> talking about what we've been covering here today. You can see in this deck with the graph tightening Federal Reserve policy on short-term Fed funds rate and ultimately how we've been climbing that chart um, here in May of 2023, which is the highest in multiple decades. Um, We've got inflation, though, as we've been talking about, getting more under control, calming down already. We're starting to see here in this graph, really, it looked like it peaked out in what, May of 2022s, where ultimately between May and and June, July-ish, and we're we're coming back down. And and that's something that overall we can see continuing to trend in the right direction Unless, what are your thoughts around with rates getting cut and this uptick of, you know, demand happening again? Inventory, at least as of this last week, was only up 0.2%, still less than 52% of inventory from the 2019 pre-pandemic high. So, you know, with inflation or with, with housing data being heavily weighted into inflation, do we think that inflation is is going to come down or how are they going to balance getting that to drive down and this graph trending in this direction if the housing kind of um, frenzy continues once rates get cut? I think um, we're going to hit around the 4% zone and start getting more flat. I don't think we're going to get back down to like the 2% area. I think that was with where interest rates were, not where they're going to be. Um, and the Fed funds rate is going to you know, influence um, uh, think of 2018, 19 zone. That's probably about where we're going to be at for interest rates. Um, and, and again, not 0% at the bank. You know, it's going to be a, a true interest rate, regular inflation environment. And we talked about this last week. Yeah, that will make 
corporations and banks profitable on their products long, longer term. My opinion is the um, the pullback in the Fed's fund rate and inflation is going to continue, but it's it doesn't have that much farther to go. And I think people are expecting it to dive back down to zero. And I think that expectation is not going to ever be fulfilled. I think it's going to get back down to the two and a half, three and a half percent zone and just stay there. And that's fine. That People can work in that type of zone. I do think that the housing market is going to stay strong in certain areas because there's always pockets of the market that are going to do well. But overall, I think that commercial real estate market will drag down to influence the shelter data to do that, to also influence single family and multifamily enough to where it gets that number. It's because it really is, it's not like kind of curving. It's really like the number is pretty in a free fall uh, right now. Yeah. It's interesting. I think, you know, from a lot of the people that I'm talking to, the commercial unraveling is going to probably take a little bit longer than this snapback in a very quick and formidable fashion. But you can see here, rent growth and government data has not necessarily calmed down yet. Still somewhat plateauing. Yeah, it looks like it's plateauing. So it'll be interesting to see what these next few months look like over the course of Q2. Um, You know, robust apartment construction at 40-year highs. Why hasn't rent calmed down completely? We're starting to see that plateau in the last couple months. But you can see here, I mean, it's been climbing pretty significantly, but with a lot of inventory in the apartment, um, you know, product space, I think we're going to start to see that that flatten out a little bit. And you'll see here uh, in the private sector, we've started to see it. Yeah, it's it, it, it start down to, one quarter. Yep. It's, it's obviously where it was in Q1 of stepping down pretty significantly. Yeah. So... But of course, extra tightening monetary policy from regional bank blowups. We were just talking about that, you know, a couple couple minutes ago, where we're just seeing the you know smaller regional and you know local banks really get hit in a hard don't way have here. Money to lend. There you go. But I feel like some of them do have money to lend. They, they do. I think they're just being a little bit more cautious around where that sure yeah. dry powder yeah. is going, and it's got to be. Premier, it's going to be their long-term relationships. Lenders, pre or I mean, sorry, premier borrowers or P, and ideally borrowers and product that it's going to. Yep, that really fits in the committee criteria for being very de-risked in the current climate that we're seeing. Commercial real estate loans by small banks, right? You can kind of see that have uh, having plateaued, but still relatively steady over the the course One of trillion dollars almost. Yeah, and then commercial real estate transactions, we're definitely seeing that. Uh, drop off Way pretty down. significantly. Um, which is obviously, you know, it's literally almost on par with 2020. Yeah, it is. And 2021 was crazy because you had all that money printed and it needed to find a home and a lot of commercial real estate product made made a ton of sense. Um, but we're starting to see a little bit of a, you know, when when the cost of debt and money goes up. You know, and the values of properties go down, and sellers are not willing to accept those values, and buyers can't make financial product pencil or you know product pencil with the current you know cost of money and the financials on a deal. We're in somewhat of that stalemate market right now, where it's going to take some time for people to. There's a lot of resetting going on in terms of values, and you know sellers actually being willing to accept those values. 
but you got a lot of debt, you know, that is adjustable debt that's come and due here that people did not pro forma out at the costs that As capital is, have. you know, going to be coming into play today. So rate hikes, of course, pushing up cap rates. When you see the cost of capital go up and, you know, you see financials start to get squeezed when commercial real estate trades on a cap rate, we're seeing across the board cap rates expand. So apartments have expanded. Time. I mean, we were seeing apartments in certain markets, three to four caps. Now they're pushing five north of six caps. Same thing in industrial. Obviously, massive expansion in office, massive expansion on cap rates in retail. Uh, so interesting to see how, of course, right? That's where rates and this kind of these financial levers can make, uh, you know, depending on what side of the coin you fall on, great opportunities or, you know, uh, tough to stomach pricing for mm -hmm. sellers and buyers, uh, pressuring commercial property prices to fall 15% off peak is really what the data is showing about 15% of a drop in values in commercial real estate assets that varies product to product, but overall on average commercial real estate product down 15% off the peak. That's quite a bit, pretty significant. Now, he did do some recap and research uh, around or some some conversation yeah. around how strong this job market is, which I think yeah. we've been talking about how it ain't slowing down. This either. recession has never seen a job market stay a job market a like jo <laughs> as strong <laughs> as it has record high payroll jobs after COVID disruption. I mean, we're seeing we're at we're at above, I think, where we were pre pandemic. Yep. As far as total employment. Oh, 100 percent. And I mean, you're seeing some pretty significant increases, three-year job gains since pre-COVID record high payroll employment, um, some oh. pretty big upticks. Let's see, payroll jobs in New York and Florida, historically low unemployment rate. I mean, you can see that spike there in COVID. March of 2020, you know, Q2 of 2020, and now just continuing to inch its way back down. I mean, what are your thoughts around why we are staying so low? Is it because obviously oh, it's the cost people need uh, to work? They need to work that second. I said job. it. I said it a long time ago. It's it's people. They were like, "Oh, people are having to work two jobs." I was like, "Why is that negative? Why? What makes what makes that negative? That people are taking action and being proactive about a situation they can't control." Yeah, I mean, it's just like it's a stupid thing to point out that that was a negative thing. People are working longer hours. They're working more jobs. They're working at higher wage jobs, and there's a lot of money in areas that can be used that is that household savings levels are not as bad as they were six months ago. They're, they're just, people aren't spending money on anything. They may have high credit. Right now we've got 500 billion in surplus savings across U.S. households. That was, that they was per... Ha, they have, I have money to pay for it. I yeah. mean, and a lot of the times too, you know, because like if you look at my credit report, I'm terrible at paying my credit card. I pay it off before my statement date, but not the date when the companies go in and they pull it to check. So half the time it shows I got like 50, 60 grand floating on my credit card and I absolutely do not. Yeah. That's going to get reported and put into that number. So there's, there's a lot of data that doesn't, you know, everybody's gone and got a credit report pulled and been like, oh yeah, you know, I know what it may say on paper I look like, but I know who I am as a, as a, as a person and as a financial, you know, uh, my financial well-being. So a lot of that stuff says something that is not necessarily something true. Always is accurate, and that's exactly what we see with like the 
inflation data. The, the data says something that this is, doesn't necessarily pan out with what's happening in reality. You know, so that that to me is is a no. I'm not I'm not terribly worried about uh, credit being high because of the excess in household savings. So wage rate and wage growth as of April 2023, I can definitely attribute to uh, leisure and hospitality. We're paying way more than I was paying, you know, our workers and employees back in. 21 and a cent an average per hour? $21 an hour is what this wage rate shows, which is a 5.7% growth. Uh, The other highest... um, Ones that have expanded the most are construction at 5.4%, wholesale trade 5.5%, mining, logging, and oil. And these were honestly a lot of industries that were critical and ex- shut, yeah. during during the shutdown, during supply chain issues. That and I people am. said, hey, if, if you want to keep the train rolling, pay me more money and I'll yeah. get back to work. Financial services right there toward the top. Three, 3.7%. Financial service, $42 an hour. So interesting to see, though, how really across the board, you know, wages have had to grow across all industries to keep up with inflation and keeping, you know, keeping companies open and and working, people working. And in areas that are highly skilled, like uh, labor skill. Yeah. There's so few. I mean, I saw, I've been seeing some welders getting some serious six, seven thousand dollars a week. Yeah. It's kind of funny actually that you say that, right? Cause I mean, most of these on this list, industry, leisure and hospitality, retail trade, transport, warehousing, manufacturing, and dirty hand jobs, white construction, collar. wholesale trade, Excuse mining, me, logging, oil. Yep. Professional business service, financial service, information and tech. Yeah. So definitely seeing, you know, more wage growth which is really required to keep up with and stave the inflate and stave any sort of recession yep. block that there could be. Let's see here. Weakening economy. So I'm curious on your thoughts and we'll wrap the, the, the show up with this on some of the decks. So job openings, unemployment, uh, but job openings are 20% lower. So even though unemployment is extremely low, we're seeing job openings 20% lower. Is there any concern there? Is the green, which one is, yeah, that's that's the job openings. Oh, that's unemployment. Well, it's better. It, would, and it's going down, as you can see. It looks like it's trending down pretty good. I would rather there be more job than people with people. Um, I'd rather it be that than the opposite. I'd yeah. rather there not be jobs available and people that need them versus jobs that need them and people that are available to take them and not taking them. To me, that's like le- that's not a good thing, but it's lesser of an evil than the other. Signs of a weakening economy or economy. Number two is GDP growth of only 1%. We can see here, this was the technical recession of 2022. Q1 and Q2 both posted negative GDP growth. Obviously, the following two quarters in Q3 and Q4 positive. Q1 was positive, but only of 1%. Is there any concern around the slowing of our GDP Heading into the tail end of the year? No, because I mean, you, you can see that, that same thing happened in 2020. And then we had multiple quarters of positive after that. And if we that go, graph could go back further, like 2008, you would see like mid 2009, we flipped around. We had quarters that were lower and like 2018 wasn't a great time and it popped back up. So it's it's fine. We're not we're just not going to have two more negative quarters in a row. It's just not. Yeah. 
consumer spending not as robust. Obviously, we've been seeing it's going to pick up here. Consumer confidence dropping a little bit over recent reports. Q1 tying into consumer spending. We're right on par with consumer spending in quarter one of 2021 and quarter one of 2020 and quarter one of 20 or 2019. It's going to spike in in Q2 like it does every single. So. So not of of big concern there. No concern. And these guys are all uh, graphs and data from the Department of uh, Commerce. So you guys can yeah, this grab accurate, all this data. Accurate data, just not... Wait till the Q2 numbers come out. People are... I mean, we're going on... I'm going on a trip tomorrow and then a trip again two weeks after that. And I just got back from a trip. So it's like people are spending money on travel. It's just not in the data yet. Signs of a weakening economy, number four, investment spending falling more dry powder just sitting on the sidelines, not necessarily getting deployed into... I would have to know what they mean by investment. That, yeah, that was... That was, was like broad. I don't know what that means. Signs of a weakening economy number five, consumer confidence about future expectations is falling. Um, again, this one is one of... Used to be touted a lot more accurately than it is now. Consumer confidence, a lot of times you can actually do the opposite of that because most of the time when consumers are confident, they're overly exuberant. And when they're underconfident, they're overly pessimistic. So I actually, this is, that's actually a positive to me versus an A. Weaker home sales, existing home sales are below pre-COVID. I think it's just with the the lack of supply, we still have a relatively well, that's, healthy that's demand. That's January but, and we're in May here, almost in June. So again, that's also lagging data. Yep. I feel like the Fed right now, huh? Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, retail sales, only 1.5% growth in March. CPI was 5%. It's been, the, it's been the story every single month since inflation's at above 4%. Online shopping relatively seems strong. 6.8% growth in March, but... Less people going out, more people buying from home. And then rental households are not rising at the moment. Commercial market fundamentals, again, rate hikes pushing cap rate up, cap rates up, rent growth in the past 12 months has definitely uh, declined. Net absorption over the past 12 months, office is still the biggest yeah. one that's negative. Yeah. So for the most part, you know, I think the the number as they wrapped up the presentation with this slide right here, US government deficit, the borrowing and the amount of debt that is getting thrown on the balance sheet. And, you know, the debt ceiling conversation being front and center with some of the main concerns of is the U.S. government overspending, overborrowing, and is the U.S. government solvent in its financial abilities to pay off debt? They will be. And uh, as you can see, the trend in the past couple years has been we've been shaving off it pretty aggressively. So I'm hoping we can get back to like the early 2000s positive and we did not have a deficit, but we had a... What is it called? A deficit? Yeah, a surplus. Thank surplus. you. Surplus. Thank you. National debt at thirty-one trillion, as you can see here, and that seems to be growing every year. So overall, I thought it was, you know, pretty on par with affirming everything that we've been talking about and yep. thinking about. That being said, of course, you guys know we will continue to keep you in the loop on all important policy updates, stock market updates, real estate investing data. Uh, again, feel free to check out millionermindcast.com for all the links, resources, uh, you know, products available for you guys. 
And don't forget to text the word X-Ray to connect with Ryan and his amazing team. X-Ray to 844-447-1555. Deals to that same phone number to get on my deals list. And uh, you guys can get all the other information at MillionaireMindCast.com. That being said, we appreciate you guys tuning in each and every week. Keep investing in yourself and your wealth on your March 2 million and beyond. Cheers. Cheers, y'all. Well, that wraps up this week's episode of Money Moves. Be sure to tune in next week for more news and updates. And if you got some value from today's show, all we ask is that you take two minutes and leave a review in iTunes, where by doing so, you're going to get entered into win a $100 gift card. Also, don't forget to take advantage of Ryan's free financial x-ray on your investment portfolio. And to do so, all you have to do is text the word x-ray to 844-447-1555. What we have found by offering this out is most people have no idea what they're being charged from a fee perspective, or really, in most cases, overcharged, and whether or not their current investment and financial plan is actually aligned with what they're trying to accomplish. And this is something that Ryan and his amazing team do for all of our listeners for free. So be sure to take them up on that. Again, that's X-Ray, one word, 844-447-1555. Also, if you're an accredited investor and you're not on my deals list, be sure to text the word DEALS to 844-447-1555 to be notified of the private investment offerings my team and I put out and last Don't forget to check out all the amazing products and resources that we offer to our Millionaire Mindcast family at MillionaireMindcast.com. Whether that's one-on-one coaching with me, mastermind events, calculators, the Rich Life Planner for those looking to take their goal setting and productivity to the next level, we've got all kinds of great and valuable tools available at MillionaireMindcast.com. With that being said, that's all for this week. Until next week's episode, keep investing in yourself and your wealth on your March 2 million and beyond. Cheers, my friends.